I'm going to continue on with the series that I started last week, and I don't have a fancy name for the series. Um, your words come back to haunt you. I believe I said this once before. You see various signs, and it's like sermon series, and it just gives the name of the book or whatever. So the name of this series is just John 14. So um, teach me not to be critical. But last week we looked at John 14, 1 through 6. Today I'm going to do 7 through 15 and try to hurry through this today. John 14, verse number 7. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And, and once again, to set the scene for this, it is the final week. It is between Palm Sunday as we celebrate that. And it is the Passover, which would be that Saturday. He has spent time with his disciples. They gathered together for the Passover meal and he has washed the disciples' feet. Judas has been filled with Satan and he has gone out to betray Jesus. And Jesus has prophesied that Peter is going to betray him. He said, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times before that happens. And then Jesus, as we looked at last week, He gave them this promise of heaven that that if He goes away, He will prepare a place for us. Continuing on in that, verse 7 says this, If you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. From now on you know Him and have seen Him. Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? He says, By the way, it's a common pattern with the disciples. Jesus will make a statement, and then they will ask a question, and their question is always or often wrong. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. For the next 22 minutes, I'll preach on this thought, the response to believe, the response to believe. I'm going to start in maybe a strange place going back to Genesis chapter 1 when God is creating plants and He's creating animals, He's creating everything in essence, and He makes this statement, the Bible makes this statement over and over as He creates various things that that they will have seed and that seed will produce after its kind. It's It's not possible for you to have a banana tree that produces apples. It's not possible for you to breed two animals together 
and let's just say dogs, and you go in when they, the, the female dog is, pres- is, is pregnant and it's time for the offspring to be born, and you go in there, hey, we got cats out of this. It's just not a possibility because kind begets kind. It's not possible for one kind of thing to produce something that is not of its same kind. It goes for plant life. It goes for animal life. It goes for humans. There is uh, Rudyard Kipling's story called The Ugly Duckling. How many of you are familiar with The Ugly Duckling story? It is a swan that is hatched with ducks. And the swan, as you would probably guess, is really more beautiful. It is the irony of the story that's being presented. But to the ducks, the swan is ugly. And all that they know is that this, this swan doesn't look like us. And so it's called the ugly duckling. And it's not until this ugly duckling goes into the water at a later time in its life and it sees its reflection and it realizes it does not look like the duck's. It doesn't look like everything else. It looks like the swans, and it is welcomed by the other swans that are in the pond because kind begets kind, and it doesn't really matter where the swan was born. It's always going to be a swan. Mowgli from the Jungle Book, raised by wolves, but he wasn't a wolf. He could act like a wolf, and strange as this may seem, there are actually stories of what's called feral children, and there's a story that supposedly this book is uh, originated from, and actually this is the Rudyard Kipling book. The other one was a Danish book, The Ugly Duckling. But Mowgli, crawling around on all fours, acting like a wolf, it does not become a wolf because it is a human child. Kind begets kind regardless of where it was raised. And Tarzan, as many of you would be familiar with that story, Adopted, raised by apes, but he's not an ape. So why do I tell you this? Why is this the place that we start? Because the Bible would tell us that there is only one begotten Son of God, and that is the man Christ Jesus. That He is the only begotten of the Father, as John 1 would say, full of grace and truth. And what that would tell us is this, is that He is, by His very nature, He is is God Himself. Because God can only beget, God is kind begets kind. Now you may say to us, but aren't we sons of God? And the answer to that is yes, but we are sons of God by a spiritual birth. And that really, what that really means is this, is that we are adopted into the family of God when we experience the new birth. That when we are born again of water and spirit, we are reborn and we are adopted into the family of God. It is a spiritual birth. But it is a different kind of birth than Jesus who walked around on the planet for some 33 and a half years. Jesus, the Son of God, is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. And in order for us to fully comprehend that or to to understand the ramifications of that, I'm going to look to this text and give you three principles about believing from this text. The first thing is this, is that we believe because of Jesus' nature. If you had known me, he would say, you've known my Father also. That when he starts off with appealing to who he is, the Jews know there is only one God. 
And when Jesus comes on the scene at the incarnation, and it's really not until he has started his ministry that he begins to use this language of father and son. It is not, a, it is not an Old Testament practice. You don't see the Son of God referring to someone in the Old Testament. You see it referenced to angels in a plural sense, the sons of God. But you don't see this referring to a particular person in the Old Testament. And in like manner, you don't see Father referring to God except for a few minor places in the Old Testament where God is described as the Father of all creation. That because He created everything, He is our Father. And and the Bible would actually say He is the Father of everyone because He is the Creator. But when Jesus comes on the scene, He begins to change this language And it is at the incarnation and when he specifically, as I mentioned, when he starts his ministries that he starts making this distinction of father and son. And what he's really doing is this, is that father is referring to the omnipresent spirit of God that is everywhere. That God who is, who fills all space and all time, who spoke the worlds into existence, he is still out there. He is still everywhere. He does not cease to exist around the world because Jesus is walking the earth. And Jesus would use this son language to describe this visible human manifestation of God. That what he refers to himself, and in fact his preferred language in referring to himself is the son of man. He would speak in this third person. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And the son of man came to give his life as a ransom for many. But he appeals here to his nature when he says, if you knew The Father, you would know me. And if you have seen the Father, you've seen me. And or vice versa, if you've seen me, you've seen him. What he is saying is this: we are one and the same. There's probably no one in this room today that's ever seen my my father. Anybody ever seen my actual father? Okay. I didn't think so. He's probably watching right now. From Branson, Missouri. I can't say, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. For some of you, I've never seen your father or your mother. And so, for you to say, if you've seen me, you've seen them. But Jesus says, when appealing to His very nature of who He is, He said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. Because I am the visible manifestation of the invisible God. And He started off this chapter with saying this, If you believe God, believe also in me. He's getting ready. He tells them that there is a place he's preparing. And if you believe God, you can believe him. Why? Because when you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And to know Jesus is to know the Father. He says, we are in essence one. In the Old Testament, you have theophanies, which is God appearing in a visible manifestation. We see this with Abraham, we see this in other places that God would appear and many times in the Old Testament is referred to as the angel of the Lord and this angel of the Lord would speak in first person as though they are God and the angel of the Lord would accept worship when regular angels would show up and they would, no, you can't worship me, I'm just an angel. What we have in Jesus Christ in essence is this Son of God in the New Testament, it is just like the theophanies in the Old Testament of this visible manifestation, but now this visible manifestation in this human form that is able to, to live and able to die on a cross and is going to be resurrected. He pays the penalty for our sin, and what Jesus says is, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you believe in God, believe also in me. 
But he doesn't stop there. He says, if you don't believe all of that, what I've just told you, if you don't understand it, believe because of my words and of my works. Verse 10, after Philip has asked that question, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough. The King James would say, show us the Father and it suffices us. We want to see the Father. We, Jesus like, have I been so long with you, you don't know? You don't know who I am yet? And the answer to that is no, they didn't. They still didn't know he was going to go die on the cross. They didn't know he was going to be resurrected on the third day. They still were missing a whole lot of it, just like we can read the Bible over and over and have no understanding of what we've read. They've heard Jesus' words, and they just miss the understanding of it. And Jesus says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me, he does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Jesus makes this appeal to his words and to his works. His words were described by his hearers as he is speaking with one who has authority. At the age of 12, when he's in the temple and he's talking to them, he's speaking as one who has been learned, has learned for a number of years, and he's speaking as one with authority, and they're like, we've never heard anybody speak like this person is speaking. Something is different about the way he speaks and the way he talks and what he knows. Never a man spoke as this man. And Jesus would even, in the Sermon on the Mount, he would proclaim his deity with a phrase that he repeated over and over, especially in Matthew chapter 5. When he would reference the Old Testament, the Old Testament law specifically, and he would say, you have heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I say, that if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. And he does this over and over. You've heard it said, the law says this. But because I supersede the law, he says, the law says this, but I say. I'm taking it up a notch. And even in that minor thing that we can miss, be like, well, you've heard it said, but I say. Moses said this, but I say is really what he's saying. The Old Testament law that God gave to Moses says this, but I'm taking it to a new level. And what he's doing is claiming to be the God of the universe. He says, just like it was given them, but I'm taking it to a whole new level. He's putting himself above the Old Testament word of God. It said this then, but I'm taking it to this heart level now. That what you think and what you believe and what you want to do, all of that matters. It's not just your actions anymore. But if you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. And if you want to commit adultery, it's the same as if you've already done it. You have heard it said, but I say. His words would prove who he was. And he says, he says the Father in me gives me these words. I'm saved, but he, but he doesn't say in Matthew, 14, in Matthew chapter 5, he doesn't say, but God says. He says, but I say. 
Why is that? Because he and the Father are one. They are united in their essence. They are united in the one God of the Old Testament. And he says, if you don't believe the words, then you can at least believe them because of the works themselves. And he doesn't appeal to any particular works, but there were certain things that Jesus would do. Things such as Mark chapter 2 when he would be teaching in a house that's crowded. Nobody else could get there. Four friends of a paralyzed man would climb to the roof and they would tear a hole in the roof and they would let their friend down. And Jesus would look at this paralyzed man and he would just make the statement, your sins be forgiven you. And then he looks around at the Jewish leaders that are standing there watching him state this fact that sins are forgiven. He says, who can forgive sins but God alone? And what he does not say is this, well, God can and I can too. He just said, who can do it but God alone? That's what you're asking in your heart. But to show you that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, take up your bed and walk, and He heals them to show that He has that same power. Why? Because He is that same God. That His works demonstrated who He was, and He walks on water. Who can walk on water? The Old Testament would say, but God alone, and Jesus comes and does that. Why does He do that? To fulfill what the Bible said, so you can't miss who He is. He could have got another boat. He could have gotten the boat with them. But he says, hey, you guys go to the other side. I'll catch up. And he, gets, and he starts walking across the water. Why? Because only God can walk on the water. To demonstrate his deity and to demonstrate who he is. And even Satan would know who he was. That over and over you see this when Jesus would confront those who are possessed with devils. And they would make this statement, we know who you are. Why have you come to torment us before our time? We should have more time to keep doing this evil work that we're doing, but why have you come? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And he would cast them out every time because he is the God who is over everything. Believe him because of his nature. Believe him because of his words. And believe him because of his works. But if we believe him, and this is the core where I'm going. It's easy to say that we believe Him. But the proof, as they say, is in the pudding. Do you really believe Jesus then would appeal to this? Believe through your actions. Don't just tell me you believe, but believe through your actions. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. He starts off with appealing, if you really believe, then greater works are you going to do than what I did while I was here. It is almost without exception that greater works here is believed to be not greater in the sense of they're more grand and they're bigger, but greater in the sense that they are more numerous. 
Because in essence, what Jesus says is you can do these because I'm going to the Father, that I am going to go away, and I'm going to preach about this in two weeks. But if I go away, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, this helper, back to you. And he says, you're going to do greater works because the Spirit is going to be at work in you and the Spirit is going to be at work through you. So if you really believe, then you should expect to see miracles. These signs shall follow those who believe in my name when you cast out devils. You will speak with new tongues. You can take up anything deadly and it will not hurt you. Why is that? If you believe in him, greater works than these shall you do. There's more of us than there. There was only one Jesus Christ walking the earth. But there are millions of people who are called by his name and are filled with the Spirit who can do greater works if they really believe in him. And Jesus said, if you believe, greater works than these shall you do. So question for you. What kind of Miracles, signs, and wonders have you seen? What kind of work of God have you seen? That the miraculous is not the domain of the few. Miracles, signs, and wonders is not the prerogative of those who stand and preach the gospel on a Sunday morning behind a pulpit. It is the right and the prerogative of every believer in Jesus. That every person who is born again can expect to see God work through them. But He doesn't work through people that do not believe fully and do not have faith in Him. i got to hurry, but Greater works are a sign of our belief in Jesus. I believe that what you said is still happening today, and I believe that what you said is possible is possible in my life. That if you are born again, you should expect that when you pray, God works. That when somebody is sick, God heals. When somebody needs a job, that God is a provider. You should expect that if you believe Him. Which leads to this Next thing that Jesus would say, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. We should expect answered prayer. We should expect that when we ask God for something, He answers and He responds. There are a number of churches in a whole lot of churches in Olathe, and, I, and I've used this example before. I haven't seen a church plant anywhere in recent years that would do what we do on Sunday morning when we name names of people who have needs. And I point to the back wall because we have a confidence monitor back there. But when they, we put these names up here so you can see them. You're not going to find that at your next door neighbor mega church. That's not to say they don't believe in prayer. That's not to say they don't believe that God answers. But we do it intentionally because I want you to know that God is a God who answers prayer. And I want you to experience that. And when you 
and when you're new to this church or you're new to the kingdom of God, that you need to know He is a prayer answering God. That we can ask anything in His name and He will do it. Which is why it could be the smallest thing. We're like, hey, well, let's, we can pray about that right now. That John, at the end of service last week, Ask for prayer. And I would just say, John is, he's not usually coming for just any little thing here and there, but he was really being bothered by his arms and what was going on there. We prayed, and before he left, he said, man, the pain's all gone. Now, now the problem wasn't gone. I'm not going to tell you that he woke up the next morning and was like, hey, man, my arms. No, he ended up going to the doctor and it was poison ivy and poison oak or something, one of the two. But in that moment when he's, it's really bothering him and his shirt touching his, his skin is really bothering him and we pray and God just says, boom. How about this? We'll just take that away for the moment. It doesn't matter what it is if we believe he is a God who answers prayer and Jesus would say it this way, whatever you ask in my name. That's a twofold understanding. It's whatever we pray in the name of Jesus. Part of that means that when we invoke His name in prayer, but it's more than that. When we pray in His name, once again, you've heard me say this over and over, when we pray in His name, what we're really doing is we're praying in alignment with His will, that whatever His will is, this is what we're praying and if we pray according to His will, He hears us, and we have whatsoever we ask of Him. He's a God who heals, so until He says otherwise, we're praying for every sickness. Until He says otherwise, we're praying for every cancer, and we're praying for every heart trouble, and we're praying for every need that needs to be replaced. We're going to pray and pray and pray, and, then, and if He doesn't answer, so be it. But our first response is going to be, God answers prayer, and so I'm praying, and I'm believing that He's going to answer our prayer. And you should be the same way that whatever you have need of, you don't have to call me. You can just say, hey, God, this is what I need. Jesus, will you take care of this? And you should expect him to answer your prayer. Asking demonstrates our belief, and answering demonstrates his deity. That when we ask, we demonstrate that we believe he is who he says he is, and when he answered, it's proven out that he is who he said he was. And he has the power to heal and the power to deliver and the power to save and the power to do miracle signs and wonders in and through us. And the last of our responses to him is when we really believe we are obedient to his commands. It seems at odds here in the text based on the transition that he's going to make to the next verse that we'll pick up in two weeks. But greater works than these shall you do. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. How does this fit? It fits this way. That if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, There's only one response 
to the God of the universe. And that is to say yes. That if you believe that He is not making things up, but He's really who He says He is, it can't be that I I believe you're the God of the universe, but I'm going to ignore you. Just not those things, to use one of my favorite compound words, it's non sequitur. You can't believe he's God and tell him no at the same time. You've heard me say this, everybody wants a Savior, but very few people want a Lord. Everybody wants to be saved from hell and they want to make it to heaven. But the majority of people don't want Jesus to tell them what to do. But if you really believe he's who he says he is, there's only one option. Lord, what do you want me to do? Whatever your commands are, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to demonstrate I believe who you, you are who you say you are by my obedience to your word and my obedience to your commands. He is the God who... expects us to follow Him fully and completely. As Anna comes to the piano, we must believe because of Jesus' nature. We believe because of His words and His works. And we believe through our actions. So what does it mean to believe? Jesus in John 7 would do a unique phrase. When he stood up on that great day, the last great day of the feast, and he said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink of the waters of life freely. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then John would put this parenthetical statement, But this make he of the Spirit, which those who believe on him should receive. But what he said specifically, believe on me as the scripture has said. It is not a believe on him any way you choose. It is not my Jesus wouldn't do this. My Jesus isn't like that. People use this phrase. And on one hand, I really don't have any any problem with it. But we use this phrase, personal Savior. As though he's my personal Savior and he might be how I think of him is a little different than how you think of him. We all have our own little personal Savior. There's only one Savior, and we must personally come to him. But we come to him like he is, not how we want him to be. My God wouldn't do that. Well, my God says in his word that that's exactly what he would do. Which is why Jesus would say, believe on me as the scripture has said. It's not as I say, it's not as you say, it's not as anybody else says. But it's what does the scripture say. 
And what I would tell you is this, that what it means to believe on Him, as the Scripture says, it's not just a mental ascent or acknowledging the truth of what He's saying. But Jesus would say, if you really believe, greater works than these shall you do. If you really believe, you can ask anything in my name and I will do it. If you really believe, you will, and love me, you will keep my commandments. So believing is not just believing facts. Not just thinking facts are true. The Bible would say of the devil that he believes in one God and he trembles. But it's not going to do him any good. He knows there's only one God, but he chose not to follow that one God. So believing there is only one God, and it doesn't help him at all. So believing means it is a commitment to following Jesus and to doing what he says. And believing is a commitment to repent and to be born again of water and spirit. If you would, stand together with me. I am convinced that you who are in this room, 90 plus percent, maybe 99 percent, hopefully 100 percent, fully believe in Jesus as the scripture says. But I know this, that human nature would say that we can all have our doubts and reservations. If I were to ask for a show of hands, I'm not going to, but if I were to ask for a show of hands, I'm sure everybody in this room would say at some point after I started following Jesus, I questioned some stuff. I hear certain things about evolution and the age of this or the age of that. I'm going, I don't know, man, is that It's not uncommon. Jesus would go to the Mount of Transfiguration. It wasn't the Mount of Transfiguration. We call it that because it's the mountain where he goes up with Peter, James, and John. He goes up onto this mountain and he goes up there for the express purpose of revealing himself to them so they can see who he is. And he is transfigured before them. They see this glory that they, they weren't anticipating, they weren't expecting. Moses and Elijah show up and Peter in his got to say something, can't be quiet. Been guilty of that. Says, hey, let's make a, I know what we'll do. Let's, let's make a temple to each, to, to Moses and Elijah and to Jesus. Man, that'd be awesome. We've got these three temples here. Jesus like, you don't, you don't even get it. And he comes down from the mountain and his other disciples, maybe it's the nine, maybe it's others that were just following him beyond the remaining nine. And they had tried to cast the demons out of a man, the son of a man who brought his demon-possessed son to the disciples and they couldn't cast him out. And they said, Jesus, why can't we do this? And he says, this kind cometh forth not but by prayer and fasting and Jesus talks to the man and says, how long has he been like this? And the guy said, he's been like this since he was a child. The demon will throw him into the fire. The demon will throw him into water. Try The demons will try to kill him. 
Jesus would say to this man, if you can believe, all things are possible. And his response is where you and I find ourselves quite often. Lord, I believe. And he follows it up with, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe. I may have a little reservation at times when I don't understand why things are like they are and I don't have all the answers, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. And so what my challenge to you today is this. Say, Lord, I believe. But whatever unbelief there may be, Lord, I would just, just take it away from me. Demonstrate who you are through my life. Demonstrate, Lord, that you are the God you say you are by doing greater works through me and by answering prayer and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be obedient to all your commands. Would you lift your hands where you are? Would you lift your voices to the Lord? Would you ask Him right now, Lord, help me to believe fully in you. Help me to believe everything your word says about you. Help me to believe that you are the one who you say you are and that all things are possible through you, Jesus.